This is Happiness Solved with America's Happiness Coach, Sandy Scarlatta. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. I am so happy you're listening today. Happiness Solved is dedicated to giving you content that is empowering, motivational, inspirational, and of course, a dose of happiness. It's my way to give back to the world and share other people's stories. This thing called life can be challenging, and my guests share their amazing stories, wisdom, and life lessons that demonstrate anyone can choose happiness. You see, happiness is a journey, not a destination. I'm Sandy Scarlatta, and I have been inspiring others to shift their mindset and choose happiness for over 20 years. As we head into a new year, here's some food for thought. How many times have you gotten excited to make your New Year's resolutions only to abandon them? It's okay, you're not alone. Statistics show that roughly 50% of the population sets New Year's resolutions, and yet the majority of those give up within the first 30 to 45 days. In fact, 80% of people who make New Year's resolutions will abandon them during the month of February. I want more than anything for you to succeed in 2023 and have five tips to share with you. One, create a detailed plan on how you're going to ensure that you follow through and take action. Two, get an accountability partner. Three, attach your emotions to the goals. What I mean by that is how will achieving them make you feel? Four, set up an app to track your goals or set up an alarm on your phone to remind you to take action. And lastly, five, celebrate your wins. This is so important because when you celebrate it and give yourself a pat on the back, what you're doing is you're reinforcing that positive behavior and you're more likely to continue doing it. So thank you so much for listening today. And don't forget to leave a review and follow me on social media at Coach Sandy Scarlatta. Today's episode is amazing and I am so grateful for you. Enjoy the show. Hello, Dr. Peggy DeLong. It's such an honor to have you as my guest today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Sandy. So... I was so excited for this conversation because you are known as the gratitude psychologist. You teach people how to harness the power of gratitude gratitude and joy to live their best lives. And this is the best part, especially through difficult times, because that's when it's so hard to find anything, you know, that we have to be grateful for. So, so, so tell us a little bit about that, um, how you, you know, is there like a secret sauce that I'm missing or? (laughs) Yeah, well, um, there, there is, it, it's something simple. It's not quite a secret, but it is something meant that many people might overlook because of its simplicity. And that is to, to keep it simple on your worst days. Gratitude is most powerful, but like you said, it couldn't be, that's when it is really hard. So to keep it simple, to look for something that you might be taking for granted, something so simple that is bringing you joy, even if it's just for a fleeting moment, that's when I discovered the power of gratitude during the worst days of my life. I was an ungrateful teen. I was an ungrateful young adult, and it took travel. Oh, well, I'm hoping to um, have an impact on the younger generation, starting with my own children, um, to 
be grateful for the simplest of things, not to wait for something huge to happen to start practicing gratitude, because our brains can't tell the difference whether we are grateful for something really small that we might label small, it's just a label, or something huge. Our brain can't tell the difference. We still get the same dose of uh, serotonin, of those neurotransmitters, dopamine that make us feel good. We as human beings assign meaning to it and put it on a scale of small or something large. But uh, it took tragedy in my life to discover the power of gratitude. And I found it in a simple cup of hazelnut coffee when I was 26 years old and my fiance had cancer and the doctors said that there was nothing left that they could do for him and that he was going to die. And it was in those last 42 days that I spent with him at the hospital waiting and waiting for that day. Like I didn't want him to die. I wanted him to live. I wanted a miracle to happen, but they, they told me that he was going to die and that it was just a matter of time. And Hazelnut coffee during those awful days is what brought me comfort. It was Mm. predictable when everything else was so unpredictable. Some days he wasn't able to speak. Other days he couldn't open his eyes. I didn't know if he was going to die that day. It was so anxiety provoking, that anticipatory grief. It was just gut wrenching awful. But the one thing that was predictable was that I could walk down seven flights of stairs and get myself a cup of hazelnut coffee. And when all of the guests had to leave at 8 p.m. and I was allowed to stay, it was that cup that brought me so much comfort. I could wrap my hands around the styrofoam cup and feel the warmth through the mug, through the cup. The aroma permeated his hospital room and made it seem less sterile. It reminded me of being home. I started drinking hazelnut coffee my senior year in high school with my mother, and it reminded me of those times with her. So it brought me so much comfort. And my 26-year-old self had no idea that what I was doing was practicing gratitude. Only when I, after he passed away and I was thrown into a world of understanding what what grief was and and self-development, did I learn that what I was doing was practicing gratitude. So it has become my mission to help people find something so simple to be grateful for, that if if it can make me feel better during the worst days of my life, that it can help other people as well. And to not wait, um, you know, we, it, we don't need to wait for the great days to practice gratitude. Gratitude is truly most powerful on our difficult days. Well, so well said. And thank you for sharing that story. That is so tragic. And I'm literally holding back the tears right now ah, because my whole journey started when my brother died at the age of 19 and I was only 12. I ended up in an outpatient rehab 10 years later, 12 years later. And that started my journey. And then I learned about gratitude, but I didn't have any of those tools, um, you know, during that, those, those darkest days in my life. And uh, wow. But thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I know that that's going to be it. You're right. It's so simple. And wow. So is that why you, got into psychology. Is that what inspired you to go forward and, and do the advanced studies to become a psychologist? Um, actually, I was one of the rare people that 
knew what I wanted to do at age 14. And I think wow. that, that I was heavily influenced by my father, who was a psychiatrist. Okay. And, and he advised me not to go to medical school. He knew me well and that I would not, um, <laughs> I don't like blood. I don't like to do all of that stuff that the medical doctors need to do, but I really wanted to work in the field of mental health. So um, getting my doctorate was the, the route uh, that, I, that I took. It took me a long time to get there. I, I wasn't quite sure along the way. So I got a master's, a terminal master's degree because I just wasn't ready to commit to all those years after college. And then I went on for the doctorate. Um, actually, I had interviews right in the midst of my fiance's diagnosis. I had six mm -hmm. interviews for doctoral programs, and only one interview happened before his diagnosis. They were all within one week. One day he was healthy. The next day he woke up with a lump on the side of his neck, and, and the news was terrible that it was a very aggressive form of cancer. So the other five I had to do while he was in the hospital, getting his first rounds of chemo and understanding what was going on. Needless to say, I was an absolute wreck and I didn't get into any of those schools. Oh. But but, it, but the school that I got into that was meant to be, it was uh, wonderful. Um, they allowed me to defer for a year because when I was supposed to start, he took a turn for the worst and I wanted to be with him during those last 42 days of his life. And the school yeah. was, uh, Pace University was wonderful. They let me defer. I didn't need to reapply. They said my spot was waiting for me whenever I was ready. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. So I recently had um, COVID. And, well, by the time this airs, it'll have been a few months. I, um, and it was interesting because my brother died on September 30th in 1978. And so that's always a really difficult time leading up to that date. And I have um, PTSD that I, it's extremely manageable, but I also feel it, you know, your muscles have that muscle memory. So it was interesting that October 1st, I started getting sick. My husband had been tested positive a few days earlier. We're totally, we were late bloomers. First time having COVID, right? <laughs> And it hit me really, really hard. And I was, it was really a wake up call for me because I don't get sick. I've never been in bed for more than a day. When I delivered my son 22 years ago, I was, you know, a couple of days in the hospital. I don't get sick. I was in bed for eight days and it was extremely difficult for me because I, I am America's happiness coach. I can, I can, you know, sit in the, in the BS. I can sit in the crumb and the yickiness for short periods of time, and then I, I can get myself out of it. You know, I, I make sure I feel the feelings, and I, I go through all of those emotions that we need to feel in order to get to the other side. It was such a struggle when I was in bed for eight days, very, very sick. Not sick enough to go to the hospital, but for me, I was really sick. And it was so hard to find things to be grateful for. And it literally, it, it almost came down to that. Like I use satin pillowcases. I, I cuddle with my pillow. I'm so grateful for this satin pillowcase. <laughs> so I love that. And, um, you know, for me, I have so much perspective and traumas that I've been through in my life that, that when you go through the really tough things, it's a lot easier to, you know, flip that switch because you, you, because you have that perspective of it can always be worse. Right. 
Yes, exactly. You know, I would never wish what I went through upon anybody, but exactly because I can't change that. I know um, tragedy. I know deep grief. Uh, and I, I grew from that. And so I do appreciate everything more than ever. I, um, I've trained my brain that way. And, it, and it's also just part of my life experiences. But I, I absolutely love that you mentioned that you don't ignore your emotional pain. You allow yourself to feel that. You know, I, I believe um, that gratitude is helpful as a tool to move forward after we have allowed ourselves to feel pain. Because when we yes. don't feel pain, we also shut ourselves off to joy. As you said, it's on the other side. And it's it involves so much trust and faith to know that it's on the other side. It can be so scary to allow yourself to feel that grief or that betrayal or disappointment, whatever painful emotion it might be. And to allow yourself to go deep into it is the way to heal. And gratitude is one way to help move forward. And then once you use it, you know it works. And then you can trust the next time you're feeling some type of emotional pain, you can allow yourself to feel it because you know you're not going to get stuck there. Yeah. And it really was my life experiences that taught me. You know, sadly, after my fiance died, my father suddenly died. Oh and my, my goodness. So my mother and I found ourselves two young widows. I was 26. My mother was 52. And living together unexpectedly with the two most important men in our lives uh, gone within a year. We, we could never imagined that was the mm -hmm. way our year was going to turn out. Um, thankfully, both of us have had the courage to allow love back in. Uh, I yeah. will be celebrating my 25 years of marriage to my husband next summer and my mother 24 years to her husband. Congratulations. That's a huge milestone. <laughs> <laughs> a milestone and, and it was scary. You know, we'd, we, uh, it was scary to allow myself to love again at a fear of, because I knew loss, but I also knew that I didn't want to be alone and that I had a lot of love to give and that I wanted to be with somebody. So yeah. I'm grateful that my life has been the way that it is. Yeah, for sure. So I mentioned briefly the PTSD, how it would show up for me is that because my brother, I found out he died on a day where I felt so happy that for many, many years, I allowed my, I, I did not allow myself to be happy because I was so, because I equated his death to my happiness. So I, and this is my immature mind, right? I was 12 years old and, you know, they say our brains don't fully develop until we're 26, right? 25, 26. Is that correct? Something like that. So, um, so yeah, so that was wired. That, that was kind of wired for me. I thought that my happiness would, something tragic would happen. And it was a psychologist that I went to for probably only about a year. I had been with an LCS. LCSW practitioner for about 12 years after six months with a psychologist. And this is a plug for your field. <laughs> I had all the answers and, and all she had to say, she goes, well, when's the last time somebody died? I'm like, my brother was the last person that died. And, and, and at that point it had been 15 years and I was able to flip that switch. Um, where was I going with this? Oh, that just the, that going through it and, and, and really 
having that professional really, I guess is, is what I'm trying to point out to people is that, you know, sometimes you really do that need that professional help to get your mental health back on track so that you're able to get to the other side and then experience gratitude. Yes. And I was very fortunate to have a wonderful therapist as well. And I went to a bereavement group, which is actually where my mother met her husband. Because my, my fiance died first and I had been going by myself. And then when my father died six weeks later, I brought my mother with me. And that's when uh, they met. And my fiance died on the same day as my mother's husband. And we actually shared the funeral home with them. And we only found that out years later that they were the other family that we were sharing the funeral home with. Whoa, whoa, it took me a second. So your mom's second husband was burying his wife on the day that your fiance was in the same funeral home? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. So the, the synchronicities and coincidences are yeah. just amazing. Uh, and they, moly. yeah. And they keep going on and on. Well, it, 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 that is such a tragic story. And I didn't realize you said it was in the same year. I didn't realize your father passed away six weeks after your fiance did. So that's such a horrible blow to you as well. I mean, yeah, it was a really tough time. Um, but it's so many things happened during that time that, that actually make it beautiful and part of that is that after my fiance died, I moved back home. I, did, I couldn't bear to be in the apartment that I shared with my fiance. So I moved back home to be with my parents in my old childhood bedroom. And it was so comforting to have those six weeks with my father. And because I was grieving, we did a lot of talk about grief. And he was a great therapist and father right. of being a psychiatrist. Right. And I remember him saying, uh, you know, uh, what helps me is knowing that Scott, my fiance, uh, wouldn't want me to be sad. So then when my father died, I remembered those words and it helped me to not be sad all the time because I knew that my fiance wouldn't want me to be fat, sad. And I could hear my father saying those words that he wouldn't want me to be sad also. And then in, in another conversation, as we were talking about death, my father said, well, you know, if I have it my way, I'm going to die on a chairlift. We were a big ski family. And I said, dad, why not skiing? You hit a tree, but at least you're skiing. And he said, no, <laughs> a, a chairlift is where I feel closest to God, breathing in the cool mountain air. I feel most at peace on a chairlift. And two weeks later, my father died on a chairlift. How did he pass? He had a sudden heart attack. Okay. I mean, I guess, wow. Talk so, about talk about getting your wishes come true. Yeah, exactly. Way too young. He was only 58. But oh my I, goodness. I cannot think of any you know, more beautiful thing than to leave this earth just the way we wanted, want to. Yeah. And that he shared that with me. You know, it was not something we, before then, we talked about in my house. We ne never, not. never in conversation. <laughs> I mean, I sit around saying, okay, well, when I die, I'm I mean, I think we all have done it at one point, but it's not, yeah. And, and in the context, you were having that conversation because of what you had just experienced. Yeah. So he didn't keep that thought to himself. He shared it with me and that brought me so much comfort, brought my entire family comfort. It brought the, the ski community, all of the ski patrol and people who were there that day when he passed. Um, it, it comforted so many people. So I'm grateful that he told me that. 
And because of my experiences, I don't take anything for granted. And when I start to, I work hard on appreciating that. You know, I live in a beautiful area uh, where just out my door, I've got horses and cows. And I, I just love that. And I try not to take for granted that I can just step out my backyard and be in, around in such beautiful nature. Um, now, what state do you live in? I'm in New Jersey. Oh, okay. And in a very beautiful part, it's a little secret that people don't know how beautiful New Jersey can be. I'm on the East Coast. I'm outside of Washington, D.C. So the way you were talking, I'm like, oh, she's in Montana or she's in Colorado. So I did not expect you to say Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about your book. You're the author of I Can See Clearly Now. I love that. A memoir about love, grief, and gratitude. You have a gratitude journal, a 365-day gratitude journey and feeling good. 35 proven ways to happiness, even through even during tough times. Wow. And you're also the owner of Love in a Bracelet, where you design bracelets for coping with grief and loss. Wow. Busy, busy, busy. But you know, every single one of these things that you've done is just um, amazing. So how could, I, I'm guessing your, which one was your first book? The first book was my memoir and it took me 25 okay. years to finish. Okay. And that was the journal that I kept at eight o'clock PM when all of the visitors would leave as I drank that hazelnut coffee, I would take a sip and journal, take a sip and journal. And when I, after he passed away, I continued to write in it, all my thoughts. It was so helpful, so therapeutic to keep that journal during my grief process. And then at one point I just thought, hmm, maybe I could turn this into a book. Maybe it could help an, another young widow. So I started working on it, but, and then I had three children and a private practice and it kind of just took a back burner. So it took me 25 years to, to write, but I, it was something that I simply had to do. And, and, and it was uh, a way to honor these two men. And I love that people get different things from the book. There's so much love in the book. Um, love between me and my mother, uh, me and my now husband, uh, so much love within the book and it real, but it, it, um, it was just something that I had to write and I'm so, um, I'm proud of it. I love that it's helping people and it was just something that I had to do. Oh, well, you know what? I believe that whenever things happen, you publish the book exactly when it's meant to be published. You know, like there's the, I just don't believe in coincidences. Things happen when they're supposed to happen. And yeah, talk a little, because this is really interesting. You host women's hiking events for spiritual growth and personal development. Wow. That sounds amazing. Can you yes. tell us about that? Sure. I love to hike and I know a lot of women are not comfortable going out by themselves. And I live in an area where I have access to the most amazing hikes within five or 10 minute drive. You know, my, my biggest difficulty is deciding where to go. There are so many wonderful places that I can go. So for about seven years, I ran a, a weekly women's walking group. And then I turned it into a hiking group. So it wasn't weekly and we'd go out just a, a couple times a year with a, with a theme. And I teach women about the power of nature and, and using nature for healing. And in addition, there is some type of theme related to each hike. So one might be about um, healing grief. Another might be 
connecting to the power of gratitude. Another might be, you know, a different topic, resilience. And uh, but I incorporate the nature and landscape to help women uh, utilize that and, and connecting to the healing power of water and trees and teaching women how we can utilize that in, in the context of a simple hike. Mm. Now, where can people learn about those um, events that you hold? They, everything is on my website, drpeggydelong.com. Nice. That's nice. So what's next for you? Do you have another book in the works or... I have so many. My problem is I have too many ideas <laughs> and I'm not, <laughs> I would love to write a book on parenting, back to basics parenting, which really to honor my parents and all of the wonderful things that they taught me. Um, I would love to turn my signature uh, speaking engagement into a book and that's five daily exercises in gratitude to heal and I just, there's so many different things that I would love to do. But right now, what's really getting my attention is my signature program for widows. It's a five-week program called HEAL. And it is everything that I wish that I had had as a young widow that I deliver um, through weekly live meetings and daily emails to support widows. Mm. And I run that twice a year. That's incredible because, I mean, thankfully, I'm not a widow and, and have not been one. Um, and I can't even imagine that it's, you know, so I, I really think that the support um, that people have is, is so critical to help them through that. Yeah. And it helps me to make sense of my loss. You know, even though it was 28 years ago, it's still, you know, we carry grief forever and it's one way that I continue to heal. It, I, I don't use the word healed. I don't think I'm ever going to be healed of my grief, but I'm healing Yeah, and I'm yeah. helping other women do the same. That's incredible. That's incredible. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience that you haven't talked about before we, we, we finish up? That gratitude, one of my favorite quotes comes from a client of mine, and she said that uh, gratitude is not an obligation. Gratitude is a gift. And with mm. her permission, I use that quote. I just love it. I feel like it really encaptures the beauty of the power of gratitude. Gratitude is a gift. Is it okay if I call it, if I title this episode that? Absolutely. Okay. Peggy, it has been such an honor. And this has been such a great conversation. And I've learned so much from you. And yeah, I, I, I'm going to have to check out your events because I'm just a few hours away and I may be able to come up and, and, and hike with you someday. <laughs> I would love to show you beautiful New Jersey. All right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Thank you, everyone. I certainly hope that you enjoyed today's interview. Thank you so much for joining me. And as always, I hope that you and your family are healthy and safe and that your lives are filled with peace, joy, and happiness. Take care, everyone.